This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Draft Class Podcast here on Nick's Film School. I'm Chris Percy Einan, excited to have you in for another episode, a big episode. All To me, they're all big episodes, but to you guys, someone who I trust more than anyone in the world when it comes to draft evaluations. He puts in the hours, he travels, um, he, you'll hear my introduction for him. I, I mean every word of it. This was an exciting conversation for me with our guest who was kind enough to join me ahead of the NBA draft. This is the last episode of draft class before the NBA draft. The next one will be a reaction to what happened in the NBA draft. Did the Knicks do anything? What happened otherwise? And and how crazy was it? And what do I think about it? All of that will come. But for today, one last look at the 2023 NBA draft class, not only through Sam Vecini's perspective, but Sam Vecini's Knicks perspective, and also in general, just a great conversation with Sam. So I hope you guys enjoy. I thank you guys for supporting. I am so appreciative of what I believe is the best community, the best family of people in the world. Thank you for your support, for your time, for making draft class, something you listen to and support. And I hope you enjoy. I'll see you after the NBA draft. Joining me now on season two of draft class is the draft writer the draft content creator the draft podcaster the sneaker collector you name it he does it (laughs) sam vicini of the athletic author of the annual athletic draft guide which is I'm trying to come up with a synonym fancy enough to match the quality of it. It's filled with a plethora of knowledge, a, a myriad of personal information and physical information about these prospects. People joke with Sam, you know, if you want to know what sport uh, a prospect's third cousin's dog walker's uncle played, he will know. He also knows everything from uh, height with and without shoes to you know just doing his best job of what we all do here in draft world, which is watch a couple hours of teenagers play sports and try to project how, <laughs> how the next 15 years of their life are going to play out. So yeah, Sam, right. um, I'm a big fan of what you do. And, and those who listen to draft class know that already, but welcome here to the show. Welcome back to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. No, of course. Uh, I'm happy to do it. And, and as much as as much as anything, like I, I'm glad you brought up the idea of it was funny. So before the show, I think not even while we were recording, you brought up the idea of like disagreements. And I think that like the more that I do this and, and the more I talk to like NBA executives and general managers and stuff like that, and I swear I'm going somewhere. I'm not like making it seem like I'm just like name dropping or anything. Um, you know who I I so 
am open to like so so many opinions. You know what I mean? Like I have an enormous draft tier from like 17 to 36 this year. It's like a 20 player tier, right? And I think people look at like the raw number of like where I have Chris Murray ranked versus Gigi Jackson or something like that. And you look at Chris Murray at 17 and Gigi Jackson at 36 or whatever, or Max Lewis at 35. Right. And it's like, Oh, like you're so much lower on Max Lewis. You're so much higher on, you know, X, Y, and Z. Jaime Jaquez, who I probably have higher than anybody in the public sphere at this point. Love that. Like it's, these guys are so close in terms of grade and whether or not they're going to be successful is so dependent on what situation they're drafted into guys at that level, at the very least, like what scheme they're going to be operating within what coach gets hired two years into their career after someone gets fired because coaching, uh, you know, the length of time that coaches are with a single team now it's probably down to like two and a half, three and a half years, something like that. So, it's so much of this is so context dependent. And I just, I, I just am open to so many uh, conversations about this. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when anybody disagrees with me, I'm just like, yeah, look, like I have Scoot uh, number two and I have him like in a tier to himself. And he's like definitely the guy I would take it to. But if you think Brandon Miller is like a really good fit with Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball, okay. I, I don't agree, but I get it. Like, if you want to make that case, it's totally cool. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, we can get philosophical and and uh, schooly and be like, oh, well, the person who knows what they don't know is the smartest, right? But I also just think that in something so multidimensional, you know, if if you want to joke, the, the joke is that if something is four dimensional, that it's really complicated. I think draft prospect talk is like seven <laughs> dimensional when it comes yeah. to team fit, roster fit, coaching fit, organizational fit, uh, where they came from, what did they do, where they came from, what did they do in high school that they didn't do, where they came like there's so many axes here that it shouldn't surprise anybody if someone in this non-imaginable dimensional space is a couple miles off from somewhere else because there's so many different directions to go in. I, I yeah, wanted like, to yeah, go ahead. Well, like I was gonna say, like I see people online now always talk about like the workout and how the workout is like, why does anybody look at the workout as if it means anything? And look, I, I don't put much stock in them. I, I don't like, I, I think that tape is the most important piece of it. I think that Intel is more important. I think the medical is more important. I think that, you know, X, Y, and Z, like you can point to myriad factors that I think are more important, but like, see a guy like up close, like if an NBA executive sees a guy up close and maybe picks up something that he didn't see previously, maybe just seeing him again, he picks up, Oh, you know what? Like if I just like shift Julian Phillips's, uh, you know, shooting stance and like his like load point, just, you know, 15 degrees to the left and like open his hips a little bit or close off his hips a little bit, you know, maybe I can fix his shot that way. I think, or maybe like, you know, a coach that sees him in person. Cause God knows coaches don't uh, do scouting during the season. Some of those guys see things that maybe front office people don't see in these workouts. And if they're involved in the process, which some around the league are, maybe they see something that makes you feel more confident about taking that developmental player that you 
had questions about and you weren't sure how it would work. I, I, I just think that every piece, like to your point, it, it's so important. And I, I just, uh, yeah, like people get snarky this time of year. People get like so set in their ways. And, and I think that like the longer that I do this, the more I'm just so firmly like open to so many different opinions because it's such an inexact science that I think that it's so, so worth discussing and like having an open conversation and honest conversation in, in regard to. Couldn't have said it better. I, I think you don't want to be gone with the wind in the sense where, Oh, well I had, you know, let me, let me just think of a random prospect. If I had Jordan Hawkins at 26 and then Sam Fasini put him at 18, well, now I got to bump him to 24 and yeah. you don't have to be in the wind, but being like, Hey, there might be something there. I didn't see from that. Like, I, I love that. And I love that whether it's with um, during covering the Knicks during the season, being on the beat, asking a coach or player a question and getting an answer that can put something in my face that I didn't know existed. You know, like it's just, there is a lot to, I, I almost, it almost video gamifies itself when you watch so many games on the screen, like, yes, these yeah. were real human beings that were moving with each other and you, they can't move in the same place. And they there's a basketball and they got to get the round orange thing and the other round orange thing. And there's, you know, a lot going on. And I just it's it's very different. I talked to Wilco of Floor and Ceiling recently who talked about him, his experience seeing the Ignite team live. Yeah. So Soko and these different and you just learn so much. And I can't get out there. I go to college in the Bronx. Yeah. So that's perspective that to me is invaluable that, you know, to someone who watched them twice as much as Wilco did, they might not care about it all. And I, you know, all these angles are fascinating. Different opinions are fascinating, but also fascinating are when people share opinions. And there's one that we share <laughs> that I want to start with because of how many live streams I spent talking about this guy. Uh, I did it for AJ Griffin last year, whether the Knicks got him or not. This is a guy to watch out for. This is someone I really like. And this is someone who I think is getting underrated. This Cam Whitmore since yeah. February of this year is someone who I toyed with having third overall on my board. And by March, I made that move. And I love tweeting these things live as they happen. I remember putting out, I'm flirting with Cam over Amen for this, this, and this reason. I've yeah. stuck there. I've remained there. And you as well have Wenbanyama, Shocker, Henderson, Double Shocker, Whitmore yeah. at three. I've done the elevator pitch. I've done, but from your perspective, when you, because I thought your summary at the end of the draft guide was just like, it was so short, which I noticed like, you for your literal next four prospects, you wrote three times as much. But the Whitmore sell, the summary is almost so self-explanatory. What do you see when you watch him play? And if you don't mind me throwing a B question in here, what does he say to you about tools? Teach him how to play the game versus know how to play the game, but can't grow yeah. height or lengthwise. No, I, I think it's a really good point. And I, I just want to note, like I have Cam Whitmore ahead of Brandon Miller. Like if I was rating these guys on like a scale of a hundred where Vic is, you know, I had to create it its own tier because he's like at 110 or whatever. Right. And Scoot is like at 99 or whatever. I, I would have Cam at like 94 and Brandon Miller at like 93, right. Or 93 and a half, like something like that. They're so close. Like I'm 
so like based on team situation, like I'm so willing to like have the conversation about like, and by the way, like Amen Thompson is also in that tier. Yeah. I think if I was Houston, I would take Amen Thompson over Cam Whitmore, despite the fact that I have Cam two spots higher than Amen Thompson. I have them all in the same tier. I have really similar grades on the three of them. I just have to put a number ranking next to the three of them. And that's, you know, the reality of having a uh, vacuum, vacuous big board, right? Where, where all these guys are something that I'm not working with in terms of a team, specific team in mind, right? In regard to Whitmore, I actually think people have underrated how athletic he is. Like his intersection of explosiveness and power is like Anthony Edwards level. He, he is not just some great athlete. He is going to enter the NBA, I think, as like a top 10 to 15 athlete in the league. Like if you made me pick between him and Asar Thompson, who often gets noted as this like incredible athlete, I think Cam Whitmore is a better athlete than Asar Thompson. I don't think he's as good of an athlete as a men Thompson because of the functionality of a men's hips and because of the uh, just general slitheriness that he has as a player. But I think that if you made me compare Cam and Asar, I think Cam is kind of like in the middle of those two. And I don't know why people are missing that. I feel like people are missing that piece of it. Don't you? Yeah, I think Whitmore, I, I forget exactly what, I think it was 99th percentile for both, but he did like scientific athletic testing. Um, and it was just really funny, I, I think is the way to put it. Um, yeah. it. Like it's not at a certain point it. Yeah. So P3 sports science did his vertical lateral ability, which came out at, you know, 99th percentile shockingly so is is this is this public they they tweeted it they did a thread of it um oh okay so i've talked to them i didn't want to say anything that was like private information (laughs) so yeah um they have they have that he's a specimen and they also put in for his acceleration and deceleration that he's literally just in the outside of their graph and everything. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like his like ability to like explode upward and like displace his momentum is like insane. The, the, um, what It's what the word incredible or unbelievable. Like that's what those words are actually for are things like this. <laughs> yeah. Like the closest, the reason I brought up Anthony Edwards is the closest athlete in their system is Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bring this up to say that you look at this guy who is like that athletic, who has real shake in terms of like being able to break down guys off the dribble, almost to his detriment sometimes. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in terms of his uh, desire to dance with the ball a little bit and like get a little bit out of pocket from time to time in terms of like stopping the ball. I was going to say own. that step back left. He loves <laughs> that step back left. He loves that, but he also loves like the rip through. And it's like, I don't think anybody's going to stop him. Like, ripping through like if he has an empty baseline and you play him empty side there is nobody that can stop him getting to that rip through move that's the he is going to get to the rim yeah every time because he's so powerful and athletic so i think he's a 20 point per game scorer plus in the nba i do he's an elite i think he's a great finisher i don't know if he's an elite finisher certainly an above the rim finisher he is 
a guy that I feel confident will be able to get to his step back three at a really high level. And I think that with the increased spacing of the NBA game, his mid-range game getting to that step back will probably be a little bit easier. I do worry about the mid-range game. He doesn't really have anything in there, uh, at least at Villanova, he didn't. But there's there's just a lot of there's so many tools. And I I like I liked his on-ball defense a lot too. I know some people like were have hemmed and hawed on his defensive ability. I thought when he was locked in, he was a monster on defense this year. And he's like a low key guy. He's not like a, his, his vibe is constantly like low in terms of energy, right? That's who he is as a player. But it, it's, I think that can kind of like bother people, but you know, as long as he's, you know, sliding in front of guys and cutting off their driving angles, I'm good with it. Yeah. I got to see Kyle Neptune's scheme very up close at Fordham the year before this one. Um, and I, you know, knowing what I know about Villanova and how they, they well, their situation with transfers, you know, I, it wasn't shocking to me that they, that team struggled. Um, but, you know, the way that team success may be an indictment on some guys, I didn't, it didn't rule out Whitmore for me as like being a top end guy in this class. Just, the I brought up Quentin Grimes early on, not as a comparison, just as, hey, no matter what you can do later on, if you can do certain things right away, you can play right away for a good team yeah. right away. The way Grimes sits in the corner, the shooting caused them to close out. And then because of his straight line speed, he gets it's like imagine if the speed was in every direction and <laughs> it left right. right backwards up down and, and he was also 230 pounds and like a physical just like bully freak show it's pack a punch type of stuff i just it's you know it's exciting to me this is the prospects like whitmore where there's a clear question mark but also so yeah. many signs of a potential to kind of wade through those waters that's the stuff that honestly gets me super excited about all of this work in general is knowing yeah, totally. that someone has the potential to grow from uh, a player on a struggling 500 Villanova team to a 200 million dollar man and it's just like without loftying those expectations so early in his career i i i mean that more as praise um it's it's exciting for over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenblum.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. 
And now, a quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Bird Dogs. Do you want a pair of shorts that aren't just comfortable but make you look good? Well, Bird Dogs has just what you need. Their stretch khakis are designed to fit slimmer, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. That's because they aren't like regular shorts, which are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Instead, they invented a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khakis, but stretches. Now, you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs also use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all summer long. So I'll ask again, want to look good while being comfortable? Don't hesitate. Head to birddogs.com to check out their full catalog of shorts, pants, and so much more. You can also use the promo code POOL to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. Again, that's birddogs.com. That's bird. B-I-R-D, dogs, D-O-G-S, dot com, and promo code POOL, P-O-O-L, to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Usually on Nick's Film School here on Draft Class, there is a, a number pick in the first round that I have to, to look at guys in the range of, but this year... <laughs> There isn't, but what does loom is the possibility that with all their surplus of assets and young players, they might swoop into that first at some point. So it's been interesting for me to kind of have the excuse to go deep dive all over the, the first round. Uh, yeah. And, oh, man, maybe they'll move into the top five. Right. But, you know, it's, no, <laughs> it's just it's been fun for me to look at everyone from Whitmore to Kobe Brown to, you know, every, everyone in between. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a blast and, and these guys at the top make it super fun, but to, to get a little bit further down your board, someone else I wanted to ask about only because you brought up workouts, because you brought up things of the such, um, was your number 10 prospect on your big board, Derek Lively, the second Duke university. Um, a lot of people, you know, talk about what he can do with the ball in his hands or passing shooting a lot of people talk about if you ignore that and even think it won't convey to the pro level he's still a huge person with instincts and with ability to move and talk to me a little bit about both Derek Lively but also kind of through that lens of the clutch pro day the the shooting drills and and the prowess he showed there from behind the arc how much do you weigh that your thoughts on DL2 yeah I'm not as worried about the clutch pro day I, I guess i would say like just because he made shots from the corner at the clutch pro day doesn't mean i think he's going to shoot from three yeah uh, I, I had him as a lottery pick before then and i had him as a lottery pick after that the the reason is that i actually moved him up into the 10 range in the top of that tier is something that i think your listeners will appreciate i went back through the last like seven or so drafts and tried to figure out where would I take Mitchell Robinson in that draft, essentially. And every single year, it was every single draft, it was somewhere between seven and 12. Uh, All of them. And I think Lively is entering the NBA with more polish than Mitchell Robinson is. I think he's entering the NBA as a slightly better like mover out in space I don't know that he's necessarily like as dominant in drop coverage as Mitch 
showcased at times as a shot blocker early on in his career. <clears throat> but I do think that his movement is a little bit better. I think he's going to be able to play in a slightly more versatile ball screen scheme than what people think. Like, I think you can hedge and recover with him. I think you can honestly like blitz guys and he'll be able to recover back with his foot speed. Obviously you can play him and drop because he's seven foot two with a seven foot seven wingspan. Like, I just kind of think that that guy works at the NBA level. The tools work, the instincts work, the versatility works. And again, like the fact that I'm getting a little bit of upside that says, okay, maybe there's a 20% chance that he shoots to where teams have to close out on him in any way, shape, or form. Right. Honestly, it might be less than that. It might be like 15% that he has that skill set. Yeah. But even if I don't get that, I'm still getting a guy that's probably worth a lottery pick. Yeah. So that's, that, that's kind of my thought process on it. That's the angle for me is what do you have if you don't get the whipped cream or the cherry on top? And it's a mm-hmm. damn good cupcake. <laughs> I think that well, by the end of the year, he was the best defensive player in college basketball. Yeah. It, and as a freshman, you know, the same way that people, um, pish posh away the Miller two point percentage struggles from early in the year that a lot of people I think looked too far into then everyone started waving them away like they were nothing I think people don't do that with the start of lively season I think you know you yeah. see oh well that's who he is the upset okay but he's 18 right like I said there's yeah, a totally. lot going on there Prez of the Strickland came on the show and, and talked about Rob Williams the third to, to stick with numbered names uh, as someone with passing ability out of the five spot that made him something a little more than what the average fan describes him as and lively as having that same kind of vein. Do you see that the same way with the passing with him? A little bit, you know, again, I didn't really see it with Mitch. I still don't really see it with Mitch. I think he's probably closer to Mitch than he is Williams. Like I think Williams can really pass like not just like, hit the occasional cutter or, you know, short roll and kick out, right? Like he can, Derek Lively can do a little bit of that. Uh, It could grow into a skill that is genuinely uh, something that's valuable on an NBA court. But even again, if you project that without, like, again, that's why I came back to Robinson because I was like, okay, great offensive rebounder, plays with super high motor, great athleticism, great energy, like brings all of that elite level measurements, everything, great instincts in general, like in Mitch's instincts can, you know, especially early in his career could go from time to time. He's gotten better in that regard. Certainly. I think that again, like if he is, if he can pass in that way and he can shoot in that way, he's going to be worth the top five pick. I think if he can do any, like if he can do all of that, we're talking about a guy that should be going, you know, in the Amen Thompson like range, essentially. Yeah. I, but even without that, like it's fine. I the think. position he plays causes people to have a an emotion or have a feeling yeah. about his ranking before they even look at it relative to other. But oh well, you can get yeah. oh they grow on trees and you can, but you know this. <laughs> if you're trying to rank good players then you you do it based on how they play and not not just the position they play obviously positional value important but it can't be everything it's exactly right like it is important 
and replacement level for the center position is higher than it is across other positions, in my opinion. But I think that when you have guys that are like this good at certain things already, as long as they don't get hurt, like they, it's, he's almost like a very safe prospect in my mind. Like it's hard to see how this doesn't work on an NBA court, essentially to me, as long as he like irons out some of the fouling issues that can occur. Um, Yeah. Like it's again, like I'm not even putting him at 10. I think it's like a low level outcome that he becomes like a super high level passer and becomes a shooter from the corners or anything, even without those or like a low percentage chance of those things. The odds are, again, that Mitchell Robinson would be taken somewhere between 7 and 12 in this draft, and that Derek Lively is going to be pretty similar to that, I think, without those skills. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I, I knew exactly where you were going when when you mentioned my audience with, with Robinson. Um, the thing to me that really, and, and you kind of mentioned it right away, but just if you want to talk pedigree right robinson had a little situation given uh, or, or regarding where he was going to and then did not go to college um and lively went to duke which is you know the facilities the coaches the there's a different vibe than at home prep for a year and robinson's yeah. still really good and as we saw against cleveland in the playoffs really impactful and, and able to deliver star caliber play but then that Miami series happened right after. And you see someone like Adebayo and I'm not saying because Adebayo went to Kentucky is why he, but you see the little things uh, squaring off the paint boxing, the tricks with boxing out the, the little things. And I think pedigree can show its way a little bit the same way that age does, you know, Kyle Lowry stripping at guys and not getting called or whatever it is like the, these minute differences are what come out in the playoffs. So that's also an interesting note with lively too, is just, who and what he what he's learned and who he's learned it from at such a young age it's nothing bad for robinson it's just more good for lively at at this age yeah no i think that's right i think that's a really good way to phrase it like the the fact that lively there are less concerns about lively coming into the draft than there were mitch i think is a fair way to put it because look that's why mitch ends up going in the second round and Derek lively is seen as a you know potential lottery pick probably doesn't fall out of the top i mean i can tell you he's not going to fall out of the top 20 but um you know he's you know real shots go in the lottery absolutely speaking of lottery one last guy i wanted to just get a quick scope from you on and and that is we referenced this program earlier but someone you're high on leonard miller of the g league ignite i touched yeah. on him a tad last season as a top 25 kind of guy right um and we saw nothing but improvement from him he turned potential into production he turned yeah. um upside into now <laughs> and i think uh that has gone a little under a little under if the, if there is a consensus radar i want to say his production this season has slipped a little underneath the tunnel there so take yeah. me through leonard miller your process watching him and also because i've been throwing in a, a lens here with all these questions watching teams like arkansas with so many prospects on them or watching teams like the ignite with so many prospects on them your process in in discerning guys from each other in, in terms of translatable NBA skill sets. Uh, 
Yeah, no. So with Miller, I'm glad you brought up the idea that he showcased real improvement throughout the course of the year. Look, I've gone and like sat down with Leonard Miller for like multiple hours and like talked to him. And like, I, I, like I'm not going to sit here and say like, I know Leonard Miller because I've sat down and talked to him, but like I've, I have a better feel for him now. And like the thing that stands out is the fact that he just processes information quickly and he learns quickly. And like, if you are watching him in a workout or you watch him like be coached, the ability that he has to implement things into his game without like having to be told them multiple times, I think is really impressive. He's super receptive to coaching. And like, I think it shows in the actual growth curve of his season in a big way where he, the first thing we saw of Leonard Miller was him getting dunked on by Victor Wembanyama, right? And then the last thing we saw is that over his last 15 games, he averaged like 21, 13 and two and a half uh, eh. while shooting 60% from the field in the G league. And, and part of the reason that I think teams have some questions about that is because in general, the end of the season in the G league is not exactly well-respected in terms of, it's just being a mess. Like think about how many guys are getting called up for 10 days, how many guys are in and out of the lineup. You typically don't necessarily have your young guys down with the team at that point. So it's a lot of, it's like scrappy basketball in like a pretty real way. And I think that teams look at it as a real question mark uh, in terms of what to make of that sample. To me though, like I think it actually aligns with what I know about Leonard Miller in terms of his ability to take in information and learn and implement things and improve. I think he is going to just keep getting better and better and better just straight up. I genuinely think he is going to keep improving and in working through his game. And like, he, he wants to be like, you know, a good defender. He wants to be like people like, or like, yeah, like, but Thad Young is like a great defender at Georgia Tech and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> no, you, you're you're right. Like he was. But also like Leonard Miller is coming to basketball later than Thad Young is and was a like late growth spurt guy and is still learning how to do all of these things. It's not that he can't do it. It's like doesn't it's not that he doesn't want to do it. It's that he doesn't know how to yet. And once he gets the how to. I think coaches are really going to like being around him because he is somebody that is willing to learn and, and take their information. So I, I am a big Leonard Miller fan. I'm a very big Leonard Miller fan. Yeah. I've listened to, a. I was going to say a lot. I can be honest and say all your pods with Adam or Mark, where you do mock drafts and, and you love the thunder at 12 for him, just because they love high feel, high processing. High, it, it's right. a, a lot of it goes together really nicely. And and that is a benefit for both the Thunder, but also Miller to go to a spot that right. values him and what he brings to the table specifically. Well, and, and the big thing with regard to this too, is like that Leonard probably is like a high ceiling, high floor guy on some level because he doesn't have, and I think this is where people are polarized on him. He doesn't have like the shooting ability to fall back on. He doesn't have the, uh, you know, like defensive, you know, impact ability 
right now to fall back on that. And I can see why people genuinely, like I can see why people would have Leonard Miller ranked 35th in this class. I don't, I have him at 12 or 13 because I think he's awesome. And like, I think he's going to learn and continue to get better. And by the way, like we mentioned earlier, like the idea of like thinking through things and like getting more of a sample. I did not like Leonard Miller as a prospect last year. Like, I thought that he was so far away from making an impact. I still think he's like relatively far away from making an impact. They they asked you for what position he'd play and you were like ball of clay, you know, like it was kind of loose and raw. Totally. And it's not because I didn't recognize the skill. It's that I think we often forget about the fact that there is like a contract value associated with these guys. If you can't play within the first two years and make an impact in the NBA, it becomes really hard for you. Like it becomes really genuinely hard for you and for your team to stay connected to you. So I think that like it's really important for these guys to come in closer to when they're ready. You don't have to be ready. No, very few rookies impact winning in the NBA, but getting as close as you can has value. Uh, and that's why, like, you're never going to see me shit on a kid for staying in college. Like, I think it's reasonable to do so. It's just that, like, you you need to be smart about your decision making. You need to understand your maturity levels and you need to understand, like, if you can handle the difficulties that will come with playing in the G League if you're not ready. I love loving kids staying in college. I think the debate of you know, you want to even, right? You get, I'll get real American on you. You want to talk, you know, different things like football or even um, you look at some of the women's players here, three years in college before they come out. That's fine. It's just the debate is people should be allowed to come out after the first year if they're yeah. ready. But, but then, you, yeah. you had it go too far. And I, by too far, I mean, you had, in my opinion, several really potentially promising careers get their curves completely flattened development. You know, if every prospect has a hundred possible growth curves that they could follow, which is an underestimate, as we know, yeah. Um, yeah. leaving early by a year can crush you like a hydraulic press. I mean, it just yeah. is. It should be more okay. for, and, and I'm glad now we have NIL and things that make it more lucrative or, or more reasonable to stay. Yep. And that's, that's 100% right. Like, to me, it's why I don't do the, like, should this kid stay or should he go stuff? Like, honestly, like, I have better intel on, like, who these kids are and who, like, what their maturity levels are, what their uh, X, Y, and Z, right? Like, I, I have better stuff than most of the people who write those things, right? It's just that I don't feel comfortable telling a kid like, yeah, you should stay in school. You're not ready to be a professional. Like you want to go be a professional by all means, go for it. I just hope you're getting good advice at the end of the day. And to me, that comes down to making the right decision with an agency, making the right decision um, in regard to who your people are around you and I can't help that at the end of the day. Like I, if someone asks me, I'm always more than happy to have that conversation with people around prospects and with prospects themselves. But I, I do genuinely think that it's okay to stay in school. 
Like it, it is, it, it's, it will help you long-term if you're not ready to go like be in the G league and like struggle for a couple of years. Absolutely. I, I think also uh, just to, to bounce off that in a, in a, a slight tangential direction is what makes guys like scoop so impressive for going to the G league and looking oh, good now, but, um, I know people, I think good is a different cat from a mental makeup perspective. That yeah. guy is <laughs> we're at the, like we're at the overthinking scoot portion of the draft cycle here where people are, you know, having fun with putting different prospects at number two. Hey, what's up? Jonathan Macri here with our good friends at Oakley to tell you why Julius Randle's All-NBA season was more than meets the eye. In scoring over 1,900 points this season, Randle moved into 20th place on the franchise's all-time scoring list. He also averaged just over 25 points a night, becoming the seventh Nick ever to do so. Finally, he became just the 57th player ever to top 57 points. How's that for some symmetry? Yes, we're disappointed by his playoff performance, but even so, this season from Julius Randle gave us more than meets the eye. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good, and that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. I will pivot like a big man here and uh, put us a little bit now, you know, swap out all these lenses we've been putting on. Let's just get some, let's just get some orange and blue tinted lenses on for a little (laughs) bit. Let's, let's have some fun. You've got guys that I really like for New York kind of close on your board, which makes this fun because I'm the same way. Like you said, you would suggest a team take someone under your board than over, depending on the team. I had Chet one, Paolo two, and said the magic should unequivocally take Paolo one. Cause they need a, a GTG, a go-to guy, you know, and um, yeah. that that's okay. Like that stuff is cool. So I, I love that you see it the same way. Cause then I really feel comfortable asking you these questions. You have guys like Noah Clowney, who to me, yeah sells himself as hey that direction that centers in this league are going in i'm a perfect fit next to that um yeah and then someone like Derek whitehead 
who you know I think I've described as one of my top three must watch high school tape prospects because <laughs> you must watch the high school tape if you want to have any idea of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Tariq's funny because like. I think I'm like a little bit less high on the high school tape than some people are. Uh, and I think I'm like a little bit more bullish on the idea of like betting on him because of the shooting ability than what like a lot of NBA teams I talk to are. It's, it's a very strange mix with him. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I've never thought he was some nuclear athlete. You know what I mean? Like I've always thought that well, he's like an above average athlete who just, you know, is aggressive as shit and tries to get downhill and like also can pull up from a variety of different circumstances and like footworks and things. Like I love that part of his game. I don't know what to do with the rest of it in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. So you you've got Clowney at, at 21 and you've got Derek at 20. Going a little bit down, you've got Jet Howard. At 25, yeah. who and for what it's worth, I got asked this question yesterday. If I'm a constant tinkerer on my board, yep. If I was doing a board today, I would have Jet Howard more in the range where I have Clowney and Whitehead. I yeah. think I have, I think I have Jet Howard too low. I would say compared you had to like OM, within that tier, OMP and Jaime right above him. Um, yeah, you know, so I'm, well, I'm just, I would just I'd keep rising, I'd keep raising Jaime because Jaime is a god. But yeah, <laughs> I love him. Um, sometimes there's that like you know statistic for like I, I joke it's X looks like a dude. Um, <laughs> it's like you know his, his looks like a dude percentage is is good. Um, I don't even I don't even know if like he looks like a dude. He just plays like a dude. Like that's, so that's, that's what, that's what I meant was the play, yeah. not, not standstill photograph, like a, a bunch of clips, clips of play. It's just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He does, he does things and they're good. And it's on the basketball court. Let's, let's, let's yeah. make that happen. Let's not um, overthink this, but between Derek Clowney and then jet. And I even want to go down and give a shout at number 30 to Kobe Brown, um, yeah. who I think presents himself as a Walt Perrini type of bet. What do you like for the Knicks in this draft? Is there, you know, again, I'll go to football. Yeah. Sometimes there are so many great wide receivers in a draft that you kind of just got to get one in the fifth round, even if you don't need one bad because the depth is so great. Obviously, the NBA's first round, a little different uh, and a little you got to be a little more strategic with who you take <laughs> than the fifth round of, an, of a football draft. But who, what kind of prospect do you like for the Knicks? And, and what name does that prospect have in this 2023 NBA draft? Is there someone that fits your mold or is there someone who, Hey, I like this kind I like prospect type X for the Knicks, but this prospect who's type Y of player ha has to be the guys. Anyone jump out? Well, you know, I'm, I'm the dickhead who comes on a New York Knicks draft podcast and hasn't really thought about the Knicks all that much in terms of the draft yet. So this will be fun to talk it through uh, this, just because like, look, un obviously unironically the perspective and, I want. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm just going to be like thinking this through live as we do Love this. It. So that'll be enjoyable for everybody to call me a moron whenever well, I say I'll throw something. You, I'll throw you stupid. some bullets. Um, Toppin, Toppin looks to be potentially on the outs um quickly extension coming up yeah like i i understand the roster situation i'm more just like trying to think of like like a like obviously you extend emmanuel quickly i think he is a stud like i saw and this is uh fred katz is like a very close friend of mine and i adore him um Mentor i saw the article the that, so 
Yeah, I saw an article that Fred wrote where he talked to 16 executives or whatever on what Emmanuel Cookley would get paid. Anybody that was under 20 million, like, is out to lunch, I think. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly, I think, is better than Tyler Hero at basketball, just straight up. Yep. Like, I think he is a better basketball player. He is a better defender. I think he plays better within a team concept than Tyler Hero on offense. Like, I think he's better. And I don't think that he will get paid 30 million like Tyler Hero did because everybody in the NBA right now is terrified of that Tyler Hero contract and of the Jordan Poole contract. That's the other name. But like, I was going to say three in Golden State has something to say about that too. Yeah, but like he's going to get he's going to get over 20. Like no questions asked and I would pay that. Like that dude is a good defender, who's a good shooter, who's like a great guy to have around the team. That is a that's a no-brainer to me. In him. in Milan, just wrapped up a trip in Milan with Deuce McBride, uh, in in cooperation with the NBPA to learn about business, to learn about self brand management, uh, being amazing. a celebrity. Like these these guys are so addicted to getting better at what they do. The Knicks so have a type, and it is mental yeah. marauders of wisdom and ways yeah. to be. I mean. <laughs> And like, look, I'm, I'm assuming they re-signed Josh Hart because there are just a number of like boxes that tick that they will re-sign Josh yeah. Hart either, you know, however they do it. Do they extend him? Do they um, do a um, uh, like he what he has a player option? He could decline the player option and then they'd still have bird rights on him and they can pay him more than the extension, whatever they decide to do. Uh I consider RJ Barrett and Jalen Brunson as part of the core. I know that Knicks fans are mixed on RJ Barrett. I still have some faith in him getting really good. Like it's hard to find guys that kind of produce the way he does. And I think if he ever shoots it, it's going to be really hard to stop him. Like it's going to be really, really hard to manage him as we saw in like the like heat series for a pretty substantial run there. And as we saw in the playoffs outside of his first two games, really in the playoffs. So I'm a believer in RJ Barrett. If something for a star comes along, I get moving him, but I I don't know that I would prioritize it by any stretch of the imagination. I think that by the end of his contract, he's going to be considered reasonably paid because he'll be 25 by like the 2025 year. Yeah. Um, I've always joked that like at the start of the contract, I've said since his second year that he wouldn't return star caliber play until his fifth year, just because he's relatively like low feel, you know, he, that, that's a lot of the reason. And I think that's something that Nick fans really value is, can you look the part? That's why, Cam Reddish had just as many fans as Barrett did in his short stint in New York, despite the lack of production was because, Oh, that guy looks like he could be, that guy looks like he is, that guy reminds me of, um, and Barrett is like the ugly duckling of the Knicks young core who uh, is different from what the Knicks typically prioritize and different doesn't have to mean bad. Um, but different is different. And so Barrett has become the ugly duckling, uh, of this young core very, very quickly and aggressively to what is always a charged up and and passionate fan base. Um, but I, I agree that different looks are, are good. Scheme versatility is good. Barrett kind of out of character this season, usually a pros pro um, had a couple moments with media where it was like he was, you know, being disregardful of procedures and the fans and what, but like 
uh, you know, Julius Randle literally disrespected the fans and then had another all NBA appearance and everything was okay again. So, you know, I think that, um, that it's, it's just, what have you done for me recently? I think Barrett will get there. Um, and, and I totally agree on quickly. I have long been the quickly over pool and hero guy and you know nick fans themselves would be like you're ruining your own credibility this that and the third yada yada and for me it was like i think i'd also take him over maxi if that if that ruins my credibility then let's do this too um because for and i had maxi seventh in that draft i was really high on him maxi right now is better um long term and i say this is someone i did not like quickly in that draft like i i I don't like 40 or whatever like i was not a big fan of his and he, he's, he's, he said he's it very himself. clearly good. Yeah, he said it himself. Like when he got his first career triple double at any level against the Orlando Magic late last season, someone asked him like, hey, does this surprise you that this is your first career triple double in the NBA? He goes, I, I was a bad passer in college. So no, like he's like, I wasn't, I haven't been yeah. a good enough passer in my life to, to have a triple double. Now I am. So now I did, um, uh, you know, it's all, it's all the things you want to hear. But with the star trade looming, all these picks the Knicks have been storing, the young players, um, something tells me that you know soon a spot can open up at that two or three. Yeah. How do you view someone like a? And I think these are two very fun polar opposites to look at here because they could very well both be available. Actually, probably one of them will definitely be available at like the twenty-five whatever range, and in Colby Jones. Um, yeah. But then there's Nick Smith Jr., who is like the other end of the spectrum. Um, oh man, uh, no, I, I don't like that <laughs> idea for Tibbs. It's funny. Like I think Nick Smith needs somebody like Tibbs because I think his defensive fundamentals are just really bad right now. Like he's very hoppy. Like he's like it's it's just very easy to like uh, get him off balance or like get him in between hops and like his momentum is dead and then he's dead and like there's no way he can guard right. Um, like just can't get through screens. Very skinny. He doesn't seem like a Tibbs guy to me. Really. Um, despite the fact that I think it would be the best thing for him in a lot of ways. And he was just finished getting coached by Musselman, who is the son of Bill Musselman, who gave Tibbs his first ever coaching job. And uh, there's a, there's a connection there with, with Tom and Eric just from Bill that is funny. It would be funny if, and and they're both like taskmasters too. Like Eric gets on you and so does Tibbs, obviously. Um, It's just harder for Eric because Eric has those guys for a year. You know what I mean? Whereas Tibbs, you're building a championship contender, hopefully. Um, yeah, like I, Colby strikes me more as a guy for the Knicks. Uh, honestly, like I'd probably go more. I, I like Kobe Brown for the Knicks a little bit more than Colby Jones, probably. I agree. Just because the size, the ability to rebound, the physicality, he actually really fits the mold that they've pigeonholed Obi Toppin into. Uh, yes. Playing is that like corner three point shooter who can pass and like drive and attack closeouts a little bit here and there. Um, you know, it's not the role Obi Toppin should be playing in my opinion. Um, you know, it, obviously they need to play within the scheme that they play. I don't blame Tibbs for it. It's just like, it's not the best way. Like, I think they should have moved him by now. Um, yeah, that's I've long, you know, I've, I've long felt like they're yeah. going to move him for a pick that they use to select someone who is maybe a worse prospect than he was viewed as coming out of Ohio, uh, comma Dayton. But you look at what that prospect does and it's 
the things they wanted him to do or yeah, they go, they go get a Nas Reed or, um, you know, I, I was the Strickland loves Trey Lyles, but I'm more a Nas Rian Reed guy. I just, there's, there's a way to replace what he does for this team. Um, and then get something good out of it in terms of upside reset the rookie cycle contract or rookie scale contracts. Yeah, that's the big thing. I think I, I'll be honestly like, I don't know that they get a first rounder for Obi Toppin. And the only reason for that is that, is that you have to pay him. Uh, he's been in the league for three years now and you have to make an extension decision. And then you have yep. to make a, uh, like another follow-up decision. Uh, if you don't extend them, you're going to get into restricted free agency and his qualifying offer isn't going to be like wildly cheap either. So it's, it's hard. He, he's a very, very difficult one. I, I think that if they got like one of those Charlotte picks or something like that at the top of the second round, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, I just think that given the, everybody around the league is terrified of like overpaying players right now. And I think like I would be surprised if he got a big return in terms of trade at this point, which is the, disappointing. The Yeah. I think the only first rounder I've looked at and been like, this team would trade this pick for Obi Toppin is 29 from Indiana. And this is a complete, yeah. just a complete conjecture for me only yeah. because they've got, 26 and so Turner and 26. Yeah. If it's, if it's Duarte, my, you know, Delo Mio, my fellow Dominican, it'd be nice to have him in here in New York city Uh, at Duarte and 29 for top in and maybe a second rounder that New York has in next year's draft that projects to be top 40 or or something like that. Cause they've got like three or four of those. I I want to say, um, I could see something like that where the Knicks also give up a valuable second rounder just to get back. You know, someone like Duarte played half his minutes at the four last year. You know, that's why everyone in Indiana is talking Hendrix Walker, Hendrix Walker, because they need a four. Um, but you know, yeah. Obi, Obi is someone who you were talking earlier about uh, taking guys. And I, I had Wiseman 14 on my board that year, top in 12. Imagine if Golden State went Obi at, at two, just the Obi Draymond, like, relationship it could it could be fun but like they they like having a big behind draymond like someone who can protect the rim so it it is it's hard like it is genuinely difficult to like like, obi Toppin is a player type that is hard to fit in the mm -hmm. nba currently i I like clowny for golden state as a loony in training if if i'm as a a modern loony if that makes sense i do too Uh, (laughs) which I I, i think is fun but just to to think Nick's like the type has been several years in college, lengthy, great character. Uh, you know, the quickly story of needing to be locked out of the gyms at Kentucky at three, four in the morning, yep. because he would like that, that. That's the Knicks type. Is there anyone off the court, whether in your experience speaking with them or speaking with representation or speaking with coaches or coaches who coached against yeah. them, whatever it is, you talk to a lot of people who know a lot of things. Are there, are there any couple names before I get you out of here that jump off the list as, Hey, positionally or not, these guys jump out to me as, as Nick, someone who did it for reasons on the court is like trace Jackson Davis. I just feel like they, the Knicks yeah. front office loves Jaron Jackson jr. And has for years. Um, if you didn't know that 
their employment of his father for Westchester before he got plucked away for a better job, said it kind of loudly. Um, and I think that's becoming a trend. They wanted to hire, they hired Jackson Jr. They hired Brunson, comma, Rick. Uh, I think, I think they are very comfortable flexing those uh, CAA flavored muscles when it comes, when it comes to coaching and, and connections and things, but Hire Jackson, Jackson yeah. Is a, um, and I, I just think David, Johnny Bryant, Donovan Mitchell, um, but Jackson Davis's yeah. touch at the rim and his, what I think is superb passing strikes me as things that because they like Jaron Jackson jr. They might yeah. see something like whether in that well, regard I think or that then like, off court, the mental makeup, I wanted to get that in there too. Yeah. Well, I think the guy that like ticks, like he ticks boxes, like to replace Jericho Sims, right? Like more than anything else, like just being like a more uh, versatile skill wise Jericho Sims, like he is bouncy. He is a rim protector. Uh, Sims is longer, obviously, and is a joke of an athlete. Whereas Trace Jackson Davis is like a good athlete as a vertical athlete, at least Jericho is like different, but the skill level that Trace brings is similar in some or not similar, but like it's the same position that you're hoping to, you know, add more to, I think essentially as a backup center. I I like, I think Tom Thibodeau, like Jaime Hawkins has played for Mick Cronin. There it is. Yeah. Mick Cronin is like kind of incapable of bullshit and is like a guy that will get on you. Mick Cronin loves Jaime Hawkes. And I think Tom Thibodeau would adore that dude. Like, I think that you put Jaime Hawkes on the Knicks, it would be unbelievable. Like, he he would play immediately. Thibodeau would want to play him 35 minutes a night. Like, I don't even, he probably can't even do that from day one, but he'd still try to anyway because of how hard he works and because of his competitiveness. Like, I was just on another podcast and someone brought up this story and I think it's really smart. Um, in the 2022 NCAA tournament where Hawkes the whole year had been dealing with like terrible ankle injuries and like had been struggling through them. That's why his three point percentage like completely fell off of a cliff that year. Right. Like to get him to the podium, he had to have like teammates, like carry him like up the steps to like get him there. And he was like playing through it and like playing well through it. Uh, it does not matter. It's a funny thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like does not matter (laughs) who he like, who he's playing. Doesn't matter what the situation is. He's going to play. He's going to be a dude. Uh, in terms of other guys that stand out, Omax Prosper is a guy that stands out as like a guy that's like really smart worker, competitive character guy, competitive. Um, Andre Jackson also ticks all of these boxes. I think it's hard for the Knicks to have another non-shooter with Mitchell Robinson, with whatever RJ is going to become, with Julius Randle, with Hart, with you know Deuce McBride as he works through his shooting issues. Like, I I think he ticks a lot of Knicks boxes. I don't know if it's the best fit, is what I would say. 
James Naji is someone who Prez from the Strickland called in uh, like a Jericho Sims, but with actual upside was his like rude way of <laughs> saying it uh, for his disrespectful comparisons article between Naji and Sonogo. I-, I just feel like the Knicks love these late second convince them to ask not to be drafted and or draft them themselves well, in the late second. Not Najee's Najee's not going to go late second. He'll go somewhere ahead of that. There, oh, he he won't. That, yeah. that, that won't happen. But Sonogo, I, I love, I have them very close on my personal board, but mm-hmm. I have Sonogo at like 46. I have Najee, I think at like 41 or 42. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that it's a completely reasonable question. And I think that uh, the problem with James is that he is so far away from a skill perspective, I think, of being able to play in the NBA. Um, like, I think he kind of is like a Jericho Simsy kind of guy now. He's just bigger and like kind of longer. Yeah. No, no, that's uh, I, I liked. I liked that from him. I, I don't mind that comparison. That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I, uh, you know, as again, Jericho Dominican, someone I admire and, and look up to, but also willing to have a good comp if it's a good comp. My final question <laughs> for you, Sam, as I thank you, I'm, I'm about to make up words that aren't real, profusely and and not just profusely, sure. <laughs> profusely for your time. My final question from you know Lewis to Ben Shepard, it feels like the Knicks are working out exclusively, or at least what's making its way, what's bubbled its way to the top uh, is that the Knicks are kind of only working out UDFA range guys. Khalid Moore from Fordham University, someone who I saw uh, at, at play home games several times this past year. Um, also someone they're working out soon. Is that just how they're starting? Are there bigger names that have not surfaced their way to the top from what you've heard in your backest of back channels? Here's, here, here's what I would say. It's very hard for teams that don't have draft picks to get workouts. Uh, Agents will not send players to teams that don't have picks because then the perception is like, oh, like, is our guy going undrafted? Like, is our guy going this? And then on top of it, like NBA teams sometimes can be a little bit hesitant to schedule workouts for players in ranges of picks that they haven't yet acquired. Because sometimes it can tip off what you're yep. trying to do. So it's it's hit or miss is, I, I guess, the way I would answer that. I, I would venture that has more to do with like logistically the way the pre-draft process works more than anything else. Absolutely. Well, I will leave you there exactly double <laughs> at the mark of where I said uh, I would you know. originally. I That's thank my you. Fault. So much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird way to say Chris's, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> thank you, Sam, for joining us. I, I, I almost feel dumb doing this, but I always give my guests an opportunity to plug whatever it is they'd like to plug. Uh, no, of course. I, I would assume people, <laughs> you know, know eight times as much about your draft guide than my show, but for posterity's sake, Sam, what would you like the people to go check out and, and go support? on your behalf. No, thanks. I I appreciate it. I think it's important. Like audiences are never the same. Like we live in like a fragmented media society. I appreciate it. Um, you know, go to the draft guide, uh, 
go to theathletic.com. That's where you can find it. You will get to see hundreds of words, hundreds of thousands of words written. Um, it's 180 pages on the top 75 prospects, somewhat de- you know, fairly deep dives into the top 60 and then like little, you know, one page long scouting reports on the next 15 guys. How dare you? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, like I really, it's a labor of love. Like I really truly enjoy doing it. It gives me a lot of, um, it, you know, it, it gets, it, it makes me well informed. I, I do it essentially because I think it's important and I think it's my job to know as much as I can about these kids if I'm going to be talking about them at the end of the day. Because, um, you know, on some level, what I say, I guess, matters now. Um, so if I'm going to do it, I need to be knowing what's going on. Uh, so it is truly a labor of love and I love it. And I really would appreciate all of you guys going to read it. Uh, go to the mock draft. I wrote at the athletic, go to the game theory podcast. You'll be able to, you know, watch Adam and I talk about an immense amount of bullshit for a while. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all I've got, man. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Sam, thank you for coming on, for making the time, especially so soon before the draft. It's tough because you want your your biggest, bestest guests <laughs> well, on ar- around draft time, but it's you know then it's also the busiest time of the year for for y'all. So well, for for me, it. it's for me, it's so funny because like I just like have these little windows where I can carve out time. You know what I mean? Like it's just random minutes here and there where I can be like, yeah, like I can give you 20 minutes. I can give you an hour, like whatever it is, but it's like, you have to hit me an hour beforehand, like where I, I I'm not doing anything for the next hour. Right. And you hit me at the perfect time and it was great. And I'm glad you did. I laugh as someone who is already becoming that way now as I venture into sports media and who I think is <laughs> hopefully I think I laugh as someone who is going to see that kind of scheduling in my future as well. So, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was doing my best to keep it positive here. Sam, thank you one last time. Go check out The Athletic. Go subscribe to their coverage. It's really good and support the amazing people that that work for them. And, and Sam is one of them and, and someone I'm proud to know. So absolutely go support it and thanks for tuning in we'll keep you updated and covered here on draft class on nick's film school Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com